Our first scripture reading is Psalm 122, and it's found on page 702 of your Old Testament Bible. Let's listen to the word of God. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to it the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For there the thrones for judgment were set up, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For the sake of my relatives and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord of our God, I will seek your good. The word of the Lord. This morning's second reading from Scripture also comes to us from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew scriptural tradition, this time from the prophet Isaiah, the second chapter, the first five verses. Listen to what the Spirit is saying this morning to you and to the church. The word that Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, in days to come the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between the nations, and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. May the meditation of our, of our hearts together this morning, O oh God, upon your word to us in scripture and in music, in fellowship, and in your call to us. May it be a time of growth and learning in your presence, your presence which goes with us outside of these walls. And may all that we do be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving. I did. Uh, it's a great time of year. It's the time of year which moves us, whether we like it or not, into this holy season, which just is starting today. And Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday for many reasons, one of which it's not a work holiday. Uh, uh, the other is the food, um, which I really like. The other is football, which I really like, mostly. Um, 
Thanksgiving reminds me of the story of a little boy named Joey who was in the back of his mom's car and they were running around town doing errands on Thanksgiving Day and as they were driving, Joey had his face pressed up against the back window of his mom's car and he saw all of these houses with their front lawns and the edges of their rooftops decorated already in Christmas lights. And Joey asked his mom as they were driving along, Mom, why do people put their, those lights on their houses and in their yards? And his mom replied, they're celebrating Jesus' birthday, honey. Oh, Joey said, when is Jesus' birthday? He was born on Christmas, his mom answered. Jesus was born on Christmas, Joey shouted. What a coincidence. That's a joke. Now, laugh there. He hadn't heard much about this Jesus guy. See, that's, okay. Jesus is the reason for the season, we say. That's why all those lights are up there, all those signs are there. It's true, he is the reason for the season, but it's hard to find him sometimes this time of year. It's a very busy time of year. It's crowded. It's hard to find a needle in a haystack. We've got so much going on. If you go to Fifth Avenue, if you go to the Garden State Parkway, if you go to Grove Street, you name it, it's crowded. It's hard to find the reason for the season in the season, ironically. Well, with that in mind, I've got some good news and bad news for you today. The good news is we don't have to look too far for Jesus because he's already here. The not-so-good news is that he's not all the way here yet. And if that doesn't make sense to you, then maybe you'll understand the question I'm about to ask you. Did your mom ever call you a moron? Mine did. Yep. She called me a moron. Now, my mother uh, was one of the nicest people I've ever met, and she never had a bad word to say about anybody that I can remember. So what she meant may not be what you're thinking, though you may agree with her uh, already. Um, it's just that my mom called me on a fairly regular basis a certain kind of moron, an oxymoron. Here's what I mean. Just the other day on Thanksgiving, for the first time in, well, ever, my son Will, who is not only a good singer, but he's in better shape than I am, invited me to run the Ashenfelter 2K in Glen Ridge on Thanksgiving morning. Um, it used to be just a mile, and it used to be flat. It's neither of those now, I, I want to point out. My goal was to finish without stopping, and I did, barely. But at one time, long, long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, I could run pretty fast. And my mom, when we would be shopping or walking down the road, would get very frustrated because she was a very quick, rapid walker. And she would say to me, for someone who runs so fast, you sure walk so slow. Oxymoron, I guess. And then uh, when I'd be explaining something to my parents, uh, something I just learned in school, which made me an expert on it immediately at the age of 17, I'd be talking and yakking at them and sort of 
their eyes were already glazed over. And I'd open up the fridge and I'd pull out the carton, of the, the milk carton, and I'd get a glass from the cupboard and I'd pour the milk into the glass. And while I was talking and explaining to them the truth of the world, I would put put the glass with the milk back in the fridge, close the door, and they would just stare at me. You are an oxymoron for someone who does so well in school. You don't seem to be very bright, they would say. We're all walking contradictions in some sort of way. That's what being a human is. So I'll admit it, like you, I'm an oxymoron. My mom was right. Now the definition of that word, by the way, just in case you are a little bit unclear, is uh, it's a word or phrase or maybe even a person that seems to directly contradict itself. It's believed to come from the Greek word oxos, which means sharp, and moros, which means dull, right? Oxymoron, sharp dull. We use them in everyday expressions all the time, right? Here's some oxymorons. Awfully good, bittersweet, a definite possibility, exact estimate, only choice, random order, jumbo shrimp, old news, original copy, plastic silverware, civil war, virtual reality, working vacation, or sayings like, that verbal contract isn't worth the paper it's printed on. Or we say, I distinctly remember forgetting that. Dolly Parton once famously said, you'd be surprised how much it costs to look this cheap. Isaac Bashev, a singer, once said, I believe in free will. I don't have a choice. John Calvin could have said that, too. And Mark Twain very correctly said, it usually takes more than three weeks to prepare a good, impromptu speech. To be a Christian, not just to be human, but to trust the God made known in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the one for whom we wait, is to live intentionally a very oxymoronic kind of life. And all we have to do is take a look at our two readings this morning to get another example of that. Here's a good oxymoron. Already, but not yet. That's a distinctly Christian oxymoron. Here's the already today in our psalm text, which Tom read. I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord because our feet are standing firmly in your gates, O God. You have created this city, this place of worship, this life of ours with so many blessings. And I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. That's the already part. Here's the not yet part in Isaiah. The word of the Lord that Isaiah saw in the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established. It's not established so far. And all the nations shall stream to it. And the weapons of war that all of us know so well will become farming equipment, apparently. Right? Swords become plowshares. Spears become pruning hooks. Already, but not yet. Not moronic, oxymoronic. And they call this Christian theological notion of the already but not yet kingdom theology. I grew up with kingdom theology. I was raised mostly in the Baptist or Assemblies of God kind of churches. Uh, 
Kingdom theology in a lot of Christian churches, in this country at least, has a lot to do with what we call eschatology. That's a $12 word you learn in seminary. It has to do with death and judgment, the end times, and the fate and destiny of the human race. Eschatology is really kind of the theme that underlies that very popular Left Behind series of books, which I encourage you not to read, but hey, read whatever you want. Kingdom theology holds that the war against evil or Satan, or I'd prefer to use words like emptiness, brokenness, violence, hatred, you name it, the war against all of that is over already. It's been won already on Good Friday at the cross, and then on Easter morning, the final victory has already been secured. The problem is there are still battles to be fought. It's a little bit like what's going on, hopefully, in Ukraine these days. But the people who use kingdom theology a lot, the already but not yet model uh, a lot of these days, tend to weaponize that kind of theological conversation. And always, as I've observed it, especially when I was a kid, I always wondered, why, why do people who talk this way always make themselves out to be the winners? And all the rest of us, people who live differently or believe differently or look differently or come from a different place, to be losers, right? You may be left behind, they say, but we're getting on that ship. We're going when Jesus comes. But if we resist the temptation to make it self-serving, kingdom theology, the already not yet theology, does have, I think, something that can be very useful for us as Advent begins. And that's because kingdom theology holds that whether we know it or not, whether we can see it or not, whether we have any real evidence of it that's sort of obvious to us or not, you and I are already actively taking part in the kingdom of God, the realm of God. Even though that kingdom, that reality, has yet to reach its full expression here in our lives or in this world, it won't really happen, this full, full realization of God's reign, until sometime in the future. We don't know when. It's not here yet, but it's coming. He's coming. There's something worth waiting for. How do I know? Because he's already here. See the oxymoronic notion here? He's already here, but he's not yet fully here. And we do have evidence, don't we? We already have evidence of Christ's presence with us. So much evidence, in fact. Beauty. Those moments, however fleeting or rare they may be, of inner calm or peace or true contentment, grace, forgiveness, joy, it's beyond anything we can create on our own, something that's just given to us as a gift. Last week, I lost, a, we all, the world, lost one of my former students in seminary, the Reverend Doug Grace, who was really an amazing guy. He was a wonderful student. Um, he didn't have an easy road. He graduated from seminary probably about 12 years ago, so I haven't seen Doug in about maybe six or seven years. Um, Doug is openly gay, uh, went into the Presbyterian Church ordination process. Uh, it wasn't an easy road for him, as a lot of things weren't easy for him, but he was a, an amazing guy. He was very smart. He was a church child from the beginning, grew up in the church, Presbyterian, 
uh, always gracious, always smiling, always open to others, always did his reading, which really elevated him in my eyes. Um, I called him, I thought of him as a light. He was a light. And it's terribly sad that that light uh, is no longer with us. But John, the gospel writer, said, the light shines even in the deepest shadows, and the shadows have not overcome it. But let's face it, today, the already, the light from Christ, which we've all experienced, that's why we're here. In our relationships, in our daily lives, we know it's there, but that light these days is faint, even flickering at times. There's tension in this world that is beyond understanding, and I can almost not take it. I just can't even read the comments on Facebook anymore. I can't. People are just looking for a fight. It's amazing. There's yet another shooting. Virginia and the University of Idaho, and it just goes on and on and on. Uh, a refusal by our leaders to prioritize the common good. It's really about winning for some reason with so many of us. The light is getting kind of faint these days. As I say, it's even flickering a bit, but it's not out. It never will be out completely. And one day, the not yet will happen. One day, hope, peace, love, and joy, the realities that those candles symbolize, the lights of hope, peace, joy, and love, they're going to shine everywhere, uninhibited, for all people. Our former associate pastor, Lauren Scharstein's favorite passage in the Bible is, God will dwell with them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more because the first things have passed away. And we will have moved into that for which we are waiting, the not yet. How do we know? Well, we know that we're in the already because all those things are real. We've experienced them. The light still shines in the darkness. And there are blessings happening that we can't even comprehend, let alone predict or control. I love this prayer uh, that was said by the Reverend Nadia Boltz Weber uh, in an interview that was done with her not too long ago. Thank you, God, for blessings, and especially, God, for blessing what we thought would never get it. Thanks for blessing the things we thought were already dead, for blessing that which we have already begun to carry out of town to bury and to put behind us. Thank you for blessing our rocky marriages and our college-age kids who may smoke a little too much dope. Thank you for blessing the leave-taking we've had with the thing that we thought was faith or the person we thought was the one. And for blessing the person at work whom we love to hate. Thank you for blessing the young adult who assumes that they're too young to be an alcoholic or the 60-year-old woman who's had too much work done already. Thank you for blessing all of them, God, for blessing the chronically sick, the chronically complaining and fault-finding. You bless it all, O oh Lord, and we are grateful. The love that only you can love, the, only, the love that you only you can give, is poured out upon the ugly and the abandoned and the unsanitary this wash of humanity upon which you have nothing but a gleaming compassion when we 
have none. Friends, there is so much for which to be thankful. There's so much that's already here, already given to us, and yet there's so much more to look forward to. That's what we're in now, this liminal space, this oxymoronic, self-contradictory time. Because life is just about how you look at things, right? We can look at it as a terrible time, a hard time, or we can see it clearly with the eyes of faith looking forward. Here's what the psalmist and Isaiah see this morning. Things aren't great. We've made kind of a mess of things here. They're not how they should be, and yet God is already here. He has already come, already been completely victorious through his death and resurrection for this world's sake. And also, we're told today that things are going to change. Jesus says, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere, I'm not going to leave you alone, and I'm going to come fully and completely. Now you may see through a mirror dimly, foggily, but then you will see face to face. There's a story going around on the web about a church Christmas pageant, just like the one we're about to have. Um, The day of the pageant presentation finally arrived, and a young girl named Jana was so excited about her part that her parents thought she had to be one of the main characters. They didn't know what character she was, and she hadn't really told them what character she was going to be, but she was still excited. So the parents of all the children in the pageant were all gathered, and they're all holding up their phones, videotaping everything, and one by one, each child took their place. Jana's parents could see the shepherds fidgeting in one corner of the stage, which was evidently intended to look like a field, Mary and Joseph stood solemnly behind the manger, not even looking at each other. And in the back, three young wise men waited impatiently. But still, little Jenna just sat quietly and confidently. Then the teacher began. A long time ago, the teacher said, Mary and Joseph had a baby, and they named him Jesus. And when Jesus was born, a bright star appeared over the stable. And at that cue, little Jenna got up from her chair, picked up a large tinfoil star, walked behind Mary and Joseph, and held the star up high for everyone to see. When the teacher told about the shepherds coming to see the baby, Jenna jiggled the star up and down excitedly to show them where to go. When the wise men responded to their cue, Jenna went forward a little bit to meet them and lead the way using their star as a guide, her face alight as bright as the real star might have been. The play ended and they had refreshments And in the car on the way home, Janice said with great satisfaction, I had the main part. You did? Her mom asked, wondering why Janice thought that. Yes, she said, because I showed everybody how to find Jesus. That's really what it is for us as we go into Advent. That's our job as the church, to prepare for his coming. We take our certainty of him already being here so that we can look forward to him coming. We're willing to embrace the not yet, knowing there is a better day coming for us, but not just for us, but for this world as well. And our part is simply to keep looking forward, to keep celebrating what's already here, and to celebrate through our gaze forward, our willingness to live gracious, humble, committed lives to celebrate what's not yet here. All we have to do then is wait Amen.